3: Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report of Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Streaking stocks, that hot jobs report, and now earnings are looming. We discuss and debate what all of that means to your money with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary is back. Jim Labenthal, with me right here on set. Check the markets, as we always do. It's 12 noon in the east. We're holding on to gains. Dow's good for about 68 and a quarter, 31,453. That's the Dow right there. S&P 500 up about 9.3911. Ten-year note yield 309. Watching that closely today, obviously with the jobs report. Jim Labenthal, I go to you. I mean, all right, this shows there's no recession, at least in the labor area of the economy. This is going to juice up the soft landing crowd, you among
2: them. Exactly, Scott. Well put. Um, and, you know, I'm glad to see the markets are green right now. When the jobs report came out better than expected, futures took a tumble. And that's sort of the environment we've been in, where good news is looked at as bad news uh, because it may provoke the Fed to be more hawkish. I am not of that camp. Good news is good news. And the most important thing is jobs. If consumers have jobs, they will consume healthily. And that's what keeps the economy and the profit picture going. Obviously, Scott, we've got to worry about inflation. I I can see you looking at me quizzically. Of course, we well, have to. I am, worry. I am have because to worry of the one thing inflation. you said
3: here that you disagree that it's going to, in your words, uh, provoke the Fed to be more aggressive. This is going to embolden the Fed to do what it wants to do because it knows, as Powell has said. He has the backdrop of a strong economy to do just that.
2: Your point is excellently made, and it enables me to be more specific. The, what the market needs for this to be more than a bear market rally is the Fed to back off. They're not going to do it, Scott, until we get weakening inflation, real true signs of weakening inflation. Now, obviously, we have the CPI next week. I'm actually not expecting a good number. I think it's going to be ugly. What I'm really focusing on is the PPI, because all of this commodity downward price pressure that we've been seeing, Crude oil, wheat, lumber is going to show up first in the PPI. Now, that's Thursday after we get the CPI, and that's really what I'm looking for. But until the Fed shows a sign that it is – Even if it's emboldened, not going to act as aggressively as the currently priced in all rallies are suspect. The point I'm driving at is that really when you look at inventory to sales ratios, you look at supply chains, you look at commodity prices. There is reason to believe that inflation has peaked. All right. Mr. Mr.
3: W. uh, For somebody who's been more optimistic than others, at least you were the last time we spoke. That was about
4: three weeks or so ago. Uh, Where are you today? What does all this mean to you? Still optimistic, and I think the narrative towards softer landing is far more prominent than it was three weeks ago when we we first spoke. I'm looking at data every day of revenue and employment and my own investments in private companies. I have not yet seen the signs of a recession, no slowdown in revenue no slowdown in our inability to hire people, supply chain getting a little better domestically, a little better. I like to call it the Coca-Cola index. I go into any 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 7-Eleven store and see how many empty slots there are Gatorade you never saw that before supply chains problem today we still have empty Gatorade slots which tells me supply chain isn't finished yet I know that's anecdotal, but it's an index I've been using and it's been working at the same time everybody's saying okay we're gonna have to draw down revenue numbers draw down earnings numbers why Why? Show me the recession. Bring it on. Bring it on. Not here yet. So, meanwhile, back at the farm, I got to invest in stocks. I got to find companies that have been torn to pieces and had their peas crushed. And I don't know if we're at the bottom yet, but these are some really interesting opportunities now because if you're in the camp that says soft landing Q1, Q2 next year, it's starting to get really interesting for equities. Why not own some? You're not gonna make any money owning the 10 year, and it's doggedly staying at 3%, which is, you know, 50% of inflation. So you're losing money owning fixed income. Equities are where it's
3: at. I I, I knew you were gonna have a hot take, but why do I need a recession to take down my earnings numbers? Why why can't I just have a slowing economy to do just that and then say that, all right, you're all bulled up because of the jobs report today, which is a lagging indicator, the economy's weaker than the jobs report would suggest. And the Fed is going to still be aggressive. And we still have the risk that they're going to put us into a recession by being as aggressive as they say they
4: are going to be. Okay. I'm working on a Fed at 50 basis points on the next hike and 25 after that. I think they're looking at commodities rolling over. We'll see what the data looks like next week, but you just have to look at spot prices on futures on any commodity. I don't go pick anything and you can see it rolling over. You can look at almond prices now. The reason those are down is we we have supply chain problems and we can't get them out of the States. We can't ship them anywhere. But those are signs that inflation is rolling over. I don't want to be you know, always saying the worst is coming, the worst is coming, and I'm going to be very cautious, because that gets you a bad outcome. I in mean, but you don't, have, you, don't have,
3: you don't have to say that the sky's sunny when the clouds are rolling in either, right? Don't you have to be a realist as to where we are rather than an eternal optimist?
4: This is not your grandfather's recession. This is something else. My suspect, what I really suspect has happened here is the $6 trillion we printed in 30 months is still sloshing around the economy. We've never had a recession where we printed this much money before it. And I don't think we're going to get the recession we used to think about having when we had a really dramatic drawdown, massive unemployment. That's not what's coming here. I think what's occurring is we're learning to live with COVID. It's never going away. China lockdowns are an everyday deal now. Supply chains may remain disrupted. But the underlying economy is really, really quite strong domestically. And we're learning how to bring over some of the supply chain issues. I'm doing that in my companies. I'm just not that pessimistic yet. I can't be Chicken Little.
3: I hear you. I mean, no one says you had to be Chicken Little. But Shannon talks some sense into him if he he needs it done. Um, He's like, you might as well have a white suit on today. He's Mr. Dovish. 50 basis points in a couple of weeks. He's on an island by himself on that one, I think. And then 25 after that. Is, Is he right or is he wrong?
1: Um, I I would say he's probably wrong on the 50 basis points in a couple of weeks. I I think it's been really clear from all of the comments um, from the Fed governors over the last couple of weeks that they know they have to remain strong and steadfast. And I think you're seeing it today. Um, You're seeing it. Jim made a great comment. You know, the response to this is that good news is good news. But it also keeps the Fed on the path that they've outlined. Um, And I think that if the Fed were to pull back on a 75 basis point rate hike uh, in the next couple of weeks, I think what that would uh, I'd be taken from, as, as the market would take that, was that they would take that as, wow, the economy really is slowing much faster than we expected. And we are— actually looking for not a soft landing but a very hard landing and perhaps a more protracted recession. So I actually think the Fed needs to go through with 75. I'm not sure about, you know, from there where do we go? I couldn't agree with Jim Moore on the PPI. That is the most important number now because we're looking at wage growth that's actually starting to trend lower on a nominal basis. We're starting to see even though jobs are continuing to be created and we're seeing continued unemployment at 3.6 we're seeing that wage growth, which is the sticky part of inflation, as we talked about yesterday on overtime, that's the part that is going to affect margins in the back half of the year. I would say, you know, if we look at, and this is the, you know, from Kevin's perspective, I see the optimism because, you know, if you're going out 12, 18, 24 months, stocks probably make a lot of sense. And of course we're in them. Um, But I think most importantly, we're entering a new phase. This is not the post pandemic phase. This is the new growth phase. All of those areas we're talking about, supply chain dislocations, you know how we're going to rectify those? We're going to invest. We're gonna make capital expenditure here in the United States. So I think where you go over the next 12 to 18 months is just as important as your view on what GDP is going to be, because the economy here in the United States is not going to go back to where we were in 2019. It's going to look different. And I think that's an important point.
3: I know why O'Leary's all bulled up. He spends too many nights at Carbone in Miami spending 30 bucks on spicy pasta, the rigatoni vodka. I know, O'Leary. So you're, you're getting a, maybe an interesting perspective on on where things things truly stand. However, Jim Labenthal sir. Piper Sandler, our view is too early to call the recent rally more than just a relief rally. You can say it's a soft landing and still think that stocks are going lower because the Fed is still going to be aggressive. And you're still going to get even as you think hot inflation prints like next week's Wednesday's CPI. They suggest you could go down to thirty five hundred followed by a second half rally.
2: And if I'm not mistaken, because I get Piper Sandler research, I think their year end target is forty seven seventy five. It is. Yeah, that's Would below you- yours. Not by much. I mean, mine's 48.96. I mean, I'd be happy at 47.75. I realize I look like I'm on an island. Let me give you the short. Well, and the you're long. with
3: O'Leary on the same island.
2: I like being on the island with him. I agree with him. It's it's. I unless think... it's
3: Fantasy Island. <laughs> you guys okay. are on Fantasy Island. That was island. a
2: good line. That was a good line. Look, what what Kevin is trying to say, I think, and what I'm definitely saying, I know, is that when you look into 2023 and beyond, you've got another after effect from this pandemic beyond inflation, which should be cured. That after effect, is supply chain onshoring. The world does not want to import its materials and its commodities and its products from overseas. just doesn't want to do it anymore. That's why we're building semiconductor plants and automobile plants and lithium mines here in the U.S. That's a strong econo- economic factor in 2023 and beyond. And that's why I actually think and this is to Piper Sandler or myself yes, we've got some near-term issues right now with inflation and the Fed. But inflation should be well on the way down in a couple of months. That gives the, room, the Fed room to pivot. I don't think 50 basis points. They've got cover to do 75 basis points at the end of the month. They're going to take it. But after that, they can back off if inflation is coming down. And that's where a bear market rally turns into a secular one. Okay, so
3: we take what we got today with the report, jobs report. We look ahead to the CPI. We say earnings are coming down the pike. They're going to be, as we know, uber important. However, we had a conversation yesterday with Fundstrat's chief technician, Mark Newton. He said... The market is going to hit a new low. He said it's too early to buy stocks now because he doesn't think the sectors that have led the rally, like tech, discretionary and comm services, are done going down. Listen. These sectors all remain within downtrends. Uh, we really want to see a lot of
5: volume
2: and a lot of advances versus declines on any sort of move off the lows, a real breadth expansion where there's a broad-based rally Uh, So downtrends remain intact, and we really
3: have not seen that just yet. Okay, so we use that as a perfect segue to bring in our first guest today. He's our headliner. He's Tom Lee. He works with the man you just saw on the television there, Mark Newton. But there's Tom from Funstrat. So you're the chief strategist. I just heard from your chief technician who said the market's going to hit a new low. Are you guys on the same page or no? Uh,
6: Yeah, I mean, Mark and I talk constantly about we probably talked three times yesterday and I heard his interview. I don't disagree that a lot of these groups are in existing downtrends. But um, most importantly, I think second half is still shaping up to be very strong. And I think there's a lot of catalysts in place. I think you guys discussed it for why stocks could reverse. And in fact, even yesterday, he talked about how if he saw a near-term weakness, he would actually be buying that because that is really what he might think is the sort of near the final lows uh, in place. And I think today's report is a great example that as much as the headline looked like a really strong jobs number, I think the underlying details really support the idea that disinflation and the right parts of the economy are weakening and that really means the Fed may not have to be as hawkish as the market's expecting.
3: Even so though, they're still going to be aggressive. Now they may not have to go as far into 2023 as the market initially thought it might, it's still gonna be aggressive in the near term. Now, I'll give you credit. You have endured a lot of market body blows in the first half of the year, arguing that the second half was gonna be good after a quote-unquote treacherous first half, which it, which it obviously was. But is your second half case two rose-colored glasses looking through what is still gonna be a choppy environment? Earnings are likely to, to be lower than than we think, or at least that's the risk, and the Fed is gonna be aggressive.
6: Um, Scott, yes. Uh, I think there is risk to the E component, to earnings, but I think what's far more important to equity prices and risk appetite is really the trajectory of inflation. Um, Just, you know, the, the real massacre happened on June 10th when the May CPI report came out. Since then, as many of you guys have pointed out, commodity prices have rolled hard real estate prices rolled hard. Rents are cooling. Um, Even on the market side, the number of Fed hikes has dropped sharply. In fact, now the market believes the Fed peak is now March 2023 from late May. And in fact, if you look at inflation forecasts using swaps markets, inflation markets now see almost under 2% inflation monthly from August all the way through March. I mean, we're going to be looking at CPI prints potentially below 2% annualized for six months. I just don't see how that means the Fed
3: has to be keeping their foot on the accelerator. I know, but here's what I don't understand. What makes you think that the drop in energy is is sustainable? If you're going to argue that the economy is stronger than, than people are giving it credit for, isn't that going to keep demand up at a time when supply is still tight? I don't get it.
6: Yeah, Scott, it's a great point. Well, I think that what could be happening in the second half is the revelation that a lot of the inflation that people thought was sticky and structural, really has two roots. One is a bullwhip effect because of the supply chain and the reopening economy. And the bullwhip effect is a known problem that causes double ordering, but then of course leads to a collapse on the other side. We're seeing that. And the second is that the premiums that people thought would be inflation because of the war are almost entirely reversing. You know, wheat is, is now lower than it was when the Russian-Ukraine war started and gasoline is really within a couple of bad days of getting back to that $92, $93 range. Gasoline itself is still nearly 75 cents or a dollar above where it was in February. So I think oil can stay here, but gasoline and things that are driving inflation could come down sharply. And I I just think it means we do have some labor market driven inflation risk. But a lot of the things that people thought were sticky are actually turning out to be transitory.
3: I'm going to bring in Mr. Wonderful because he makes the case there's no reason to take down earnings at all. Kevin, right? I mean, you've you've heard the optimism in Tom Lee's voice and his outlook. By the way, his target's 5,100, which I know he thinks is a little bit of a stretch, but he's sticking with it, at least at this point. What do you got, Kev? For Tom Lee I,
4: I, I agree with him I'm a devotee of Tom Lee I believe that what we're going to see happen and particularly the short term the back end of this year is a surprise on earnings because so many analysts have already started to take down estimates both on top and bottom lines because they believe and they're trying to like everybody else divine when this recession actually hits I'm you know I have that that, that index that I get to use every Tuesday morning just tear sheets on private companies revenue and cash flow I see nothing Nothing. Nothing yet. And so every week goes by, you got to give me some recession. Bring it on. Where is it? And, you know, that's the problem. And so as we march towards the end of the year, maybe you could argue, and maybe Lee will do this, that maybe we see some softness in earnings in Q1, Q2, 2023. By then, the Fed has probably put on the brakes completely. And as far as you're concerned from an equity perspective, you get PE expansion again. This is not going to be what everybody thought. This is not going to be a hard landing. That's my opinion. Now, I have to make decisions every day like everybody else. I don't see hard landing. I see everybody trying to guesstimate what's going to happen. And I'm in the Tom Lee camp that says, better upside for Q4. Just buy quality names. If you don't want to be speculative, don't buy companies, don't make money. There's plenty of companies that make money that have been crushed. I'm buying those. Tom?
6: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Kevin. Uh, and many pundits have actually mentioned this, you know, nominal GDP is really going to drive a lot of the service sector EPS numbers. The manufacturers are going to be hurt by the bullwhip effect, and that's where you're going to have earnings weakness. But I mean, tech is a great example of where earnings are probably going to hold up a lot better. Tech got destroyed earlier this year, and I think Fang is really one of the groups to watch because they're not too far away from doing an upside breakout.
3: So Jim Labenthal has a question for you, and I'm going to to give him the ball in a second and let him run with that. I just want to be clear, and I want our viewers to understand fully exactly where you're coming from. When I asked you if you agree with Newton at the top of the show, and you said you do, does, does that say that you agree with him that the S&P is going to put in a new low before it becomes a buyable low and the market recovers?
6: Uh, Scott, is that a question for me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark, Mark's reasoning, and I don't disagree is that he thinks interest rates are gonna make one move higher and then that's going to compress PEs one last time. And that's his where, where we get the downside target. Where I don't necessarily agree is, I'm not sure interest rates are showing the motivation to move that much higher. It's not necessarily written in stone. Today's a good example. We got a hot jobs report. I don't, the year is up, the yields are up, but they're not breaking out. And in fact, what's been pretty pinned is the two year And, you know, the two-year is a pretty good good indicator where the Fed's going to be. If you look at market history, where the Fed funds are versus the two-year, it would almost argue we're close to the end of the tightening cycle. And I'm, I'm not a Fed watcher, but I'm just observing since 1980 where we are in that spread historically is where the Fed is almost done with its tightening cycle.
3: I mean, I didn't grow up a Fed watcher either, but I'm a Fed watcher now. I mean, I know you, you watch the Fed a lot, right? Everybody does. How can you do what yes. you do without watching the Fed? But you, I feel like you've taken me into a gray area here, though. It sounds to me, and I'm, I just want to be as specific as we possibly can. It sounds to me like you do not agree with Mark Newton that the S&P is going to hit a new low. Is that right? Well, Scott, uh, in on, the short I want to pin term, you down. I-, I want to pin you down. I mean— You know, the technician can have one view and you have a different view. It sounds to me like you're you're not a you're not fully on the same page with Mr. Newton.
6: Yeah, I guess that I'm going to give a two part but a consistent answer. One is I think the structural lows are in. And so I, I want to buy any weakness. But on Mark's point, if there is a tactical rise in yields, which does hurt tech, which tech will pull us lower, we might get we might see another downdraft but even Mark wants to buy that weakness because he thinks we're going to make the year, you know, this low for this bear market sometime in July. So for your viewers, it's really how you're going to react to that low. And I would be buying that low and I'd be buying tech here because, you know, meta at 16 times earnings with earnings visibility, that's going to be improving. And, you know, with China recovering, these are things that are actually bullish for what I would say is, is a technology trade. So I hope that's a consistent answer.
3: No, it is. It is. I, I, and I appreciate that. We're, we're on the same page. I just want to make sure I fully understand it. And most importantly, I want to make sure my viewers do as well. Jim Labenthal, question for Tom Lee.
2: Yeah, Tom, um, there seemed to be a disconnect all year. Kevin was expressing it. I feel it, too, between what the market is saying and what the economy is saying. The market's saying recession is here right now. The economy, you look at it like, yeah, now nah, I don't see it. Part of the disconnect, and I think the biggest part is consumer sentiment, which defies description for how bad it is. You talked about uh, gas. Gasoline futures coming down. They're 20% off in a month. And that really has yet to show up at the pump, right? Because these are futures. The gasoline needs to be produced. It needs to be transported. The retailers need to reset their prices. Doesn't that set us up for some improvement in consumer sentiment, which again, I think has been vital to why this year has been so ugly so far? Doesn't it set us up for a good second half?
6: Uh, Jim, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, when it comes to how consumers see their situation and CPI and you, Mish, we we had our team had a almost a two hour conference call with the researchers there. Food and gasoline are huge influences. Gasoline and food have really hurt people the last two years. But if gasoline goes to the February 20 levels down another dollar and what we've heard from a lot of food distributors is they're sitting on piles of frozen proteins, foods. Nobody wants it because no one's really eating more. Food prices could be coming down. I think that there's going to be not only more money in people's pockets as these prices come down, it's going to be a real improvement in sentiment. And again, the Fed would just want to see people's expectations about inflation come down. If it's food and gasoline, you're going to see a dramatic drop in inflation expectations in the next six months.
3: Hey, Tom, um, how flexible are you? Are you able to stay with me past this break and we can continue the conversation on on tech? Because you you said a comment that you should buy tech now, and I, I want to get into that. But before we take the break, let me ask you that lastly for this block about Voyager, uh, digital, which we know about um, this week going bust. They made an investment in you uh, in Fundstrat, six million dollars to, quote, be Fundstrat's exclusive U.S. partner and incorporate crypto research into the Voyager platform. Can you ex- just expand on what the relationship was and what happens with that uh, investment now, what the impact is, if any, on Fundstrat?
6: Uh, yes. Uh, you know, for foremost, Voyager has been a good business partner for us. You know, we've liked working with the team I don't have any comments about the circumstances that led to their bankruptcy. Uh, earlier this year, they made a minority, sub, sub, well under sub 10% investment in our company. Um, and we viewed them as uh, someone that we thought really we could expand as an operating partner, but, in, but I think that now that's just unknown. But I, I would say it's had no effect on our business. We don't have, we don't manage capital. Uh, we don't have any loans to them or from them. So, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate what's happened.
3: You write down the the value of the investment to zero at this point or or, or what happens from here?
6: Well, the investment that they made wasn't into Fundstrat. It was made to the existing uh, other equity holders. Um, So that, you know, that has had no financial implications for Fundstrat as well.
3: Okay. I got you. Let's do this. Let's take that break. Let's come back. I do want to expand on technology, whether it, it is, in fact, a buy right now. We're back in two minutes.
0: Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S A U-C-O-N-Y.com.
3: All right. Welcome back. It's been a big week for technology shares, especially the biggest companies, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Meta, Netflix, all up between 5 and 9% so far this week. Steve Kovac, who covers technologies here with us at the, at the desk, uh, Apple's 10% higher than, than its June lows. It's mid-June lows. Is this sustainable? Yeah, that's the
5: real question, right? I remember just a few months ago when everything was cratering, we're asking ourselves, hey, when is Apple going to come back? When Apple hits its bottom, then maybe the rest of the market is at its bottom. Are we there yet? I don't know, but there are so many interesting and nixed headlines coming out in the Apple universe that it's kind of hard to like pinpoint one thing to this move. We got Morgan Stanley saying some optimistic stuff about China this morning, saying that, look, all the Apple stores, they're actually open right now in China. That's great for hardware sales. But then on the downside in China, uh, app store sales seem to be going down. In fact, uh, BOV just said this morning in their note that their data showing in June, app store da- sales in China we're down 6%. Now you might remember uh, Katie Scott, Huberty.
3: Katie Huberty. That's where you're going, right? Yeah. Katie Huberty, but, Morgan Stanley, she raised the alarm bells exactly. on Exactly.
5: And she was using the same data that the BO of A analysts sorry, It's a company called Sensor Tower that watches this stuff. And you might remember when I did Apple earnings with you last quarter, Luca Maestri, the CFO, had just told me, look, we're facing the same problem with digital services that so many other digital companies are, that the pandemic comps just look bad. People are coming out of lockdowns. That's what we're seeing in China. So services growth is not going to look too good this quarter. Yeah,
3: I mean, these moves don't remove uh, those concerns heading into earnings exactly. in, what, a few weeks. Now, the
5: hardware side, though, Scott, a little bit more optimistic. So. We're going to get a real test of hardware demand starting next week. Actually, today, in a certain way, the uh, MacBook Air, the new one that everyone's going crazy about, uh, goes on pre order today, on sale next week. And I'm going to be watching those ship times because if those really start to slip, we get some ideas of how the supply chain's working out there. Mm-hmm. Or maybe demand's just through the roof and they just can't make enough of them. Stick
3: with me. Tom Lee, um, so you just heard the report. I mean, the stocks have done great this week. You suggest now's the time to buy tech, even with these kinds of moves. Why now?
6: Well, I think it has to do with the environment that could be unfolding the next six to 12 months. You know, one is uh, I think, you know, Europe looks like it could really be entering a recession. So we have uh, disinflationary pressures sort of coming from overseas. And if that's lower interest rates in the future and risk on growth, that's gonna put investors more interested in buying not cyclicals, but, but secular growth stories. And, you know, when I look at names, big cap tech names like Meta or Google or Amazon, even if they have some earnings risk, they're gonna hold it much better than cyclical stocks. So I think from a valuation perspective, they come and, you know, become a lot more attractive. If rates are actually gonna be cooling and Mark Newton again, you know, does think we make one push to new highs in the 10 year, but that's, that's really the high. Well, then I think you wanna be long growth and you want to be long tech and that, and you know to me fang is especially in meta and these large cap techs have really gotten hit the hardest and they're are probably the most attractive
3: that nasty looking euro uh, v dollar 101 as i look at it right here doesn't give you pause on, on what international earnings are go, are going to look like for the biggest of technology companies which get a big slice of their earnings from overseas
6: Uh, Yes, it's going to have some headwind. As you know, the the relationship, the correspondence isn't one to one. So the beta to higher dollar isn't necessarily the same percentage hit to earnings. But I I think one thing, you know, people have to appreciate is that the dollar has been strong because the U.S. has really gained relative strength in the last two years. I mean, the U.S. is one of the best positioned regions coming out of COVID. It's endured the Russian-Ukraine war quite well. It's endured the supply chains. So as you sort of think about these these headwinds dissipating, the two places that people are going to really want to invest are places where the currencies ended up being the strongest because they're the strongest regions, that's the U.S., and those that can take advantage of that reconstruction that's going to take place... And I'd say that U.S. is really going to be one of the places where there are going to be demand
3: acceleration. I can only imagine that the commentary that you're going to hear in earnings when we have these conversations (laughs) in overtime in a few weeks is going to be FX, FX, FX,
5: FX. Big time. And how is Apple combating that? Well, they've historically, and they actually did this a few days ago in Japan, they'll tweak iPhone pricing around the world in order to combat those uh, foreign exchange headwinds. They already raised the prices in Japan not in China yet, probably because, you know, those lockdowns are ending and they want people to get out there. But so get ready to see some pricing tweaks in those international markets for iPhone and other
3: hardware. All right. Thank you, Steve Kovac. Yes. Not Kovac. The, yeah, no, I already did that once. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I just jinxed myself, of course. But nonetheless, Shan, um, is Tom Lee right? Are these are these the stocks you want to buy right now?
1: Well, I own them all, Scott, so uh, I think I'm probably a biased uh, view here. Uh, you know, I think if we look at, I, I do believe we're going back to an environment where we're expecting lower growth um, from a GDP perspective, from an overall economic perspective, and that would point to a rotation from cyclicals to sort of traditional secular growth stories. But I would say I would be I would be careful. Um, I think secular growth in the United States is going to be driven differently, so I think technology takes a part of that, but I think you really need to focus on areas companies that are going to be able to help other companies, other industries become more efficient and more productive. And so limiting yourself just to the the software side, um, I think that's a challenge. I think there are opportunities in technology. I think the big tech, um, number one, they will be hit by currency. Certainly, I agree with you, Scott. It's a huge concern. But number two, they have varied and diverse businesses. And so I think, you know, trying to pinpoint um, some of the cheapest, biggest sold off stocks that we've seen over the last year and going into those. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I do think it's going to be where can, which companies can help other industries, other sectors become more productive and efficient as we bring a lot of that capacity back online. It's going to be a different world here in the U.S. It'll be a good world, but mm. it will be different.
3: Extremely reactive to rates, too, which you know makes me also think if you get now some more juice behind the 10-year yield, which is at 309 uh, right now. So if you have a, a stronger economy than people maybe have expected combined with a Fed that's still going to be aggressive. And then you have this new move higher in rates uh, back towards the three and a quarter range. It's going to be interesting to watch what technology does. Kevin O'Leary, last word on this segment quickly to you, please.
4: I am buying tech names, but also international. I'm using the Alps OGIG index, which you know traded down, but has much more diversity, much less risk on FX in there, because what's happening in China, Asia, Malaysia, all these countries, the direct-to-consumer models continue to accelerate. All these are productivity tools. You've seen recovery in things like DocuSign. There's These are tools that every business in every sector and every geography are going to be using, and it, it, regardless where rates go, these tools enhance their ability to Business and service their customers. So I think going in here, that for me, it's a twenty percent weighting of the operating company's portfolio. It's volatile, but the, we've all, even even ARC, even Kathy Woods Arc has had a phenomenal week, and those names. She's highly concentrated, taking huge risks. Tech remains a productivity tool that every single S and P five hundred company buys, and they just continue to fund. That's not going to change.
3: Tom, thanks for hanging out a little extra with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you again soon. That's Tom Lee of Funstrat joining us here on the half. Seema Modi has the headlines for us now. Hi, Seema.
0: Okay, Scott, here's a CNBC News update at this hour. New York State planning to screen social media accounts of applicants for gun permits. The goal is to try to pick up some of the warning signs that were missed in postings from recent shooters. Under the law, applicants have to provide local officials with a list of current and former social media accounts from the previous three years. The funerals and memorial services for three out of the seven people killed in the Highland Park Parade shooting are today. A memorial service for Jacqueline Sundheim was held in the morning, while services for Stephen Strauss and Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza will be this afternoon. Wisconsin's Republican-controlled Supreme Court ruling that absentee ballot drop boxes may be placed only in election offices and that no one other than the voters can return a ballot in person. The court ruled that only the state legislature, currently controlled by Republicans, can set rule uh, ballot drop boxes, not the bipartisan Wisconsin Election Commission, which oversees state elections. The dispute arose after the Election Commission eased some drop box rules during the pandemic. The decision sets absentee Ballot rules for the August 9th primary and fall election. Halftime report returns right after this. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph22 at Saucony.com. That's S A U C O N
7: Y.com.
3: We're back. Kevin O'Leary, have a few new buys we need to go through. Zoetis spun yeah, out of neighbor. Pfizer, of course, Animal Health. I'm sorry. Uh, and then international focus for you, SAP, Unilever,
4: Nestle. Yeah, the theory is this. The U.S. dollars had a fantastic run. When the market senses the Fed is going to slow down, the dollar will too. So why not buy some companies like SAP, Unilever, Nestle that have so much of their sales in the U.S.? You're getting them a discount now. They'll have the win behind their backs when the euro, the British pound, the Swiss franc turns around against the dollar. So I'm anticipating in the next six to eight months that I might get 5% lift on FX and those names. Meanwhile, I own great balance sheets that spin off cash in second that are global, including U.S. sales. Xiodas is a new name for me, a company that nobody seems to know. But one of my portfolio companies called Base Paws, which does cat DNA. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Was just acquired by them. And I went to the closing dinner in New York last week, met the management. Wow, I was really impressed. They are doing all species, horse, dog, cats, all kinds of, of pet health and animal health. And this is almost a recession proof sector. It's amazing how many people spend money on their pets. 110 million cats, who knew? And you can use their base paw test kit to extend the life of your cat by just feeding it different foods by doing the DNA testing. That name, that's a fascinating story. No one's ever heard of this company. Great management team, just an idea.
3: I mean, Shannon's heard of it, right? Shannon, you bought it last month, right? (laughs)
1: I did in early June. I love to hear Kevin's enthusiasm about this um, it makes me feel uh, it makes me feel like maybe there's a couple more people out there who are watching who might uh, who might take a look at the stock.
3: So. Yeah. <laughs> all right speaking of you uh, Shan, you sold salesforce interesting move there for you and you bought workday Why the switch <sighs>
1: Yeah, so this is, a, this is a really interesting story for us. Number one, you know, I like, we've, we like Salesforce. It's been a strong, um, strong performer for us for many years, and, um, and we love the land and expand. We think that this is the chassis for many companies and what they're building. However, when we looked at Workday and we looked at what they're doing from a human resources and enterprise resource ma- management perspective, in this hybrid environment, it c- becomes even more important to be able to have a cloud-based solution for your employees to be able to log into, It's not just for them, It's for things like recruiting, resource management. Um, And what we liked about it is that they have the same land and expand thesis behind them. This is actually founded by vets out of PeopleSoft, which, as you know, Oracle bought. Um, And so for us, there was just a little bit too much in terms of redundancy in exposure for us. We have to manage our portfolio. Jim knows all about portfolio construction, so I know he agrees with me here. And so we had to swap it out. But we think Workday has got an excellent uh, outlook over the course of the next couple of years as companies look to really – focus on resource management
3: he's smiling in agreement we can't hear from him we got to go to break though so we'll hear from him (laughs) soon but look at that see that that's an agreeing face (laughs) up next we check in on our halftime stock summit where the committee stands on their picks in the market right now we get it right markets down a lot it's not so much holding people's feet to the fire it's finding out whether they still like what they picked way way earlier in the year we'll find out next All right, we're back. We kicked off 2022 with a halftime stock summit. Now that we're halfway through the year, let's see how some of the committee feels about their picks. So, Jim Labenthal, we begin with you. And as I suggested, it's been a tough year all right, for everybody. So your picks at the time, at the beginning of the year, Cliffs, Boeing, Paramount, which was Viacom C B S at the time, uh, all down substantially, materials down about 20 percent year to date of those on the list. Which ones are you? Do you have the most conviction for for the second half, and about the sector? How do you feel about it for the next six months?
2: So uh, consistent. Cleveland Cliffs is the top pick of the three. And I'm not changing any three of them, and that's part of the materials sector that I think will still do well. This is commensurate with my belief that we're in a growth slowdown that's going to accelerate, reaccelerate in the supply chain onshoring and infrastructure building that's going to go on in the years to come. But also for Cleveland Cliffs, their primary market is automobiles. Over 50% of their business is automobiles. We know that autos, are, the demand for autos is high, and it has to stay high because the average age of cars on the road today is 12 12.2 years, they're going to wear out. These things wear out. We know we need to build more autos and that there's demand for them. That's going to really buoy, buoy Cleveland Cliffs. But probably the most positive thing I can say, it's free cash flow yield right now is 34%. I mean, that's an extraordinary number. They've got free cash flow. They've taken care of the next four years worth of debt maturities, and they're buying back shares. So let them buy them back at, at three times earnings.
3: What I find interesting about a lot of these picks from, from everybody, frankly, is that nobody really bailed. on on any of the selections that they made. Shan, um, Amazon gave you nothing, nor did American Tower, uh, nor Agilent Technologies, nor Industrials as a sector, but you stayed with all. Will you stay with all for the next six?
1: Yeah, I would actually say, you know, the one that performed the best from a relative perspective, still lost money this year, um, was American Tower. And that's the one that I think is, you know, sort of something we're looking at as in terms of is there going to be continued emphasis on infrastructure build, on being able to expand digital capabilities into a broader area. That was a big part of Build Back Better. Um, and as we know, that's been essentially stalled out for for quarter upon quarter. Um, But I think if you look at industrials, I know we talked about it this week on the show, Scott. It is absolutely a sector that we think is going to continue to do well. We think this onshoring, as Jim talks about all the time, I couldn't agree with him more. So I wouldn't say we're bailing on any of them. Amazon, honestly, I think was was the worst performing of the three, probably the highest conviction. People look at AWS, 25% growth. 80 billion in revenue. Um, I know there's a lot of questions about distribution and efficiency of that distribution on the commerce side. They're focusing on the wrong thing.
3: All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Excuse me. Mr. Wonderful is up next. All right. We're back. More Stock Summit check in with Kevin O'Leary. Kev, Coinbase. Yikes. You, you and you still own it,
4: too, right? I still do. I still do. Yeah, that's been crushed by the crypto correction, but uh, still a major infrastructure player. I'm taking a long term view. What else can I do here? I, su- I certainly haven't added to the position lately. Yeah, I hear you. Chevron, big winner. Uh, you know, not
3: that many people picked energy stocks. We did have some pick energy as a sector. Uh, so sh- do you
4: stay with Chevron? Do you think the energy trade has more legs? You know, we we sold it and we didn't catch the high. It's a huge debate in our shop. Uh, we think policy still remains very negative. We're waiting to see what happens in the midterms. If we get a big shift in the house, which I think we might get, we'll probably uh, probably sit tiptoe back into it. I, I don't want to go to war with policy that never works. So um, we are happy with that trade, though.
3: OK, sector health care, which, you know, you, you start to hear more people talk about is the charts looking pretty good in that.
4: Yeah, that's an okay place to be. Lots of good companies there with good balance sheets. It's sort of waiting for good, good dough. There's some onshoring also going on in just in case supplies for healthcare into the next pandemic. I like the space. We actually have it weighted at twenty percent of the portfolio. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come
3: back. We'll talk Twitter shares with Mr. Wonderful falling on that report. Elon Musk's deal to buy the company may be in serious jeopardy. He weighs in. Kevin does because he owns the stock. There it is right there, down about four and a half percent. And tonight, do not miss a CNBC special, Taking Stock, second half playbook. That's with Frank Holland and Josh Brown. You can email your investing questions to cnbc.advisor at cnbc.com. Or, of course, you can tweet us at hashtag CNBC Advisor tonight, 6 p.m. We're back right after this. Shares of Twitter dropping on reports. Elon Musk's deal to buy the company may be in, quote, serious jeopardy. Kevin, I told you, I mean, I said you own the stock. And I know we've talked about this before. So we're still in kind of no man's land, although we've maybe had advancement on the story. What's what's your take here with the stock? And
4: why do you still even own it? You know, the great potential of Twitter that has never been realized is that it doesn't service small businesses in America that are 66% of digital ad spending. The idea was Musk would take it over and fix that problem. When I look at companies between 50 and 500 million in sales, it's all going to Facebook or Meta and Google. And so this this platform only services large brands, and that's, that's not the biggest part of the market. He would fix that. Free speech I've always been an advocate of, obviously. And he would stop the constant issuance of options, which this thing has been. you know, a rotating door of CEOs. It's been a miserable place to be an investor for a long time. And I've experienced that misery. I want him to buy it. I don't care if he drops the price. I think the fair price of this deal is 30 bucks, given what's happened here. He's never going to get what he wants in terms of proving the bots, because he would have to get the actual addresses, cell phone numbers, email addresses. They're not going to give him that because it would be disclosing privacy against those rules. So we're at an impasse. I think he's just say, look, I'll buy for 30 or I'll litigate you to the cows come home. Pick one.
3: Yeah. Well, why should they take less? I mean, you know, you do deals deals all the time, right? You sign agreements to do deals. Why, Why should they take less?
4: I'll tell you why they should take less. This is exposing to their largest advertisers what a mess they have in management there. The truth is, every day that it stays on the news, some large brand is saying, Wow, I don't want to be part of this story until it gets resolved. So, if you want to litigate for six years, it could go on forever. That's not going to help their business. It's going to make it worth even less. I think they should get in a room, and he's a good negotiator, and say, Look, guys, the market's corrected. Everything's changed. You, you, you can't prove to me the 5% bought numbers real. And frankly, I think you're worth 30 bucks. I'll do the deal next week at 30 and get this out of the way because it's not helping the employees. It's not. They just fired a whole bunch of people there. It's a bad story for the company. The, the board should not litigate. They should settle with a guy that could fix the business because they haven't been able to. Some of those board members don't even use Twitter. I mean, what's with that?
3: All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades next. I knew you'd have a hot take on that. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern today. The Wharton professor, Jeremy Siegel, will join me. Josh Brown will as well. And Dan Greenhouse, I'll see all of you at 4 o'clock Eastern this afternoon. Final trade time. Shannon, you're up first. I'm
1: going to go with Meta. Facebook, um, you don't have to necessarily fully believe in the metaverse uh, to be able to get behind this company. If you just look at the number of Instagram influencers who are multimillionaires right now, they are monetizing the platform and will continue to do so.
4: Okay, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. Ziotis, I love horses, cats, and doggies. These guys provide pet health care. It's a fantastic business, and I love the management. Okay, Pharma Jim.
2: Uh, Delta Airlines, I like airplanes. Uh, Look, the last earnings call, uh, really, the CEO, uh, Mr. Bastian, was just giddy uh, with how good things are. I don't think anything's changed, and earnings are coming up next week.
3: All right, so we're going for the longest winning streak of the year uh, this week. Next week. Big earnings kick off. Yeah, of the it week, starts. Right?
2: I mean, Delta, I just mentioned, it's the mm-hmm. banks. The banks are more of a macro indicator. I got to tell you the truth. It's the week after that, I think, really, is where we get into it. Next yeah. week is inflation.
3: Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yep. CPI on Wednesday. Great weekend, everybody. I'll see you later in the uh, in overtime. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.